0: Hello, and welcome everyone to Everyday Sublime, the podcast that explores a full-spectrum spirituality. This is Josh Summers, and I'm very glad you're here today. Okay, in today's talk, which I'm calling, yes, the Unitive Mantra, In this talk, I I really continue to reflect on working with challenging energies in one's meditation or yoga practice. These challenging energies are often referred to as the hindrances or a list of common obstacles, difficult energies that people tend to interpret as problems or um, unwanted experiences in their meditation. I continue to, and, and I, as I said last week, I will be uh, sharing many reflections over the several, next several weeks, if not a few months, on, on these difficult energies because it's really through understanding these energies and working with them skillfully and integrating them that one's experience of samadhi or stillness um, comes about with, with, well, just it, it, it emerges through the, through the understanding of these energies. So as many of my teachers have, have shared with me, is, the idea is that if you value stillness, if you value a steady, calm presence of mind, it behooves one to pay close attention to these energies and really develop skillful ways of working with them. And that's what I'll be trying to uh, explore as we continue on in these these talks. Um, so in this particular talk, I, I do cover what I would call a, a theoretical view of what unity consciousness entails. I also discuss the p- paradoxical problem with meditation instructions, how uh, following instructions, particularly formulaic instructions, presents us with a, a, its own kind of hurdle in, in terms of coming to a, a, an experience of truth, unity and clarity. And at the end, I, I, I try to wrap it all up by offering a simple one-word teaching that I have found quite helpful over the years, and I just want to extend that to you. So uh, before I give the talk, or before I share with you the talk, I just want to uh, say that if you are getting value out of this podcast, if you enjoy these talks, if you enjoy the interviews that I have with, with distinguished guests, um, I, I encourage you to please consider a way of supporting me and our work here um, in the the, the Yin Yoga School. Um, In light of the pandemic, uh, Terry and I made the decision to uh, either steeply discount most most or all of our courses, as well as offer many of our um, online courses and offerings for free to those who can't afford um, to pay for things right now. And we really like that um, model. We feel more, and our hearts feel more generous in terms of giving away our content to those that are in need. Um, but we, uh, as much as we enjoy that, we also do need to still support ourselves. So we, this is a, just an ask to anybody that's listening that gets value from, from our material. Um, if you would, please consider supporting us either by becoming a sustaining member to the Sangha, where um, a modest monthly fee of twenty-five, starting at $25 gets you access to all our weekly online courses. I mean, our classes of the Dharma Talk, the Yin Yoga classes, and Yang Yoga class. There are four classes in all each week, which you have live access to or um, unlimited access to in the recorded library on our site that where everything gets archived. So that's one way to support. Another way to support is to uh, consider looking into the online courses we have about yin yoga, meditation, TCM, and yang yoga. There's a bundle of introductory courses we have on those those practices called the Sublime Quartet. And we discounted that on our site, um, and there'll be a link for that in the show notes. But if you're interested in, you know, if you're particularly if you're a yoga teacher, I'd say listening in these 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 this bundle of uh, four courses, which roughly estimate about forty hours of, of online uh, work, which do include a CEU uh, credit with Yoga Alliance if you like for like it's um, ten hours per course. Um, you can do that, and and there'll be a link for that in the show notes. Um, lastly a non-monetary way to support the podcast and our work is just simply by sharing the podcast and I know many of you do that but if you could just every now and then if you hear an episode you particularly like say a kind word about it and share it with a friend or two or pass it along to your network on social media and that is um, very meaningful and helpful to us so thank you in advance for your support and I now bring you today's talk called yes the unitive mantra. So, uh, this evening's talk is going to be a continuation, uh, continued reflection on what I've introduced last couple of weeks, which is the difficulties in practice, which is which are often listed as uh, a set of mind states that. Um, Kind of make dif- might make, make practice difficult, make getting into stillness and samadhi difficult, and ultimately block one's perception of things to to in a way that it's difficult to gain deep insight or deep wisdom about the nature of experience. Um, <clears throat> and so, I thought I would start. I plan to start this week with a, a talk on the first of these difficulties: the, the difficulty of desire in practice. But as I was reflecting on it over the week, and 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 even reflecting on uh, some of the things that folks shared in our in our sort of open sharing sangha session last week, um, it it occurred to me that the, really the difficulties, the, the theme of difficulty, isn't so much about practice per se. Right now, I think if we if I would put my finger on it, we're all experiencing these difficulties in our life, and and so if your life is anything like mine. Um, which I'm only imagining this because we're all kind of experiencing this, this great uh, COVID pandemic condition together. If your life is like mine, you're probably experiencing these 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 mind states that are listed as the, as the obstacles in meditation. You're probably experiencing them in, in, in your day-to-day life all over the place. And I don't have a, uh, an exhaustive list of examples here, but just a few for each. So with, with, the, with, the, with the mind state of desire, you know i every every time i hear a new update about the vaccine rollout or you know the stimulus package i just have i'm aware of this burning desire for normalcy again a burning desire to get back to living the way i remember life was prior to uh, last march or february when things kind of skidded off into dukan <laughs> the, the, the 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 nation of duka that we're all living in um, aversion, the, 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 the mind of dislike, uh, I don't need to look any further than at our, at least in the United States, at our political polarization and, um, the, the difficulty of aversion, specifically hatred, ill will, you know, it it's just out in front in front of at least in front of me all the time and when i hear something in the news whether it's from the right wing or the left wing and sometimes it just drives me nuts and i just i get a lot really angry about uh what i see as um kind of incorrect ideas uh at play and working their way out in, in in our civil discourse there's a lot of righteousness in that a tremendous amount of righteousness and the restlessness that is often mentioned in meditation—that's just that—could appear in daily life as anxiety, you know. <laughs> and I don't think I need to even give examples of that. If, if you're, if you're breathing and alive right now, you're undoubtedly feeling this, uh, certain certain vibrations of anxiety about what does this mean for the future, your careers, your livelihood, your, your home. All of this is 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 under threat, uh, given the, the difficulties we're facing. Sleepiness the energy of lethargy it took me a second. I was like, what, how would this manifest in our life? And then it, it occurred to me, it's just exhaustion, absolute exhaustion from it all. And, and this was brought home to me today. I went to, um, I went to get, get some body work done. And, um, I, I had, there's a wonderful, uh, extremely talented, uh, gifted therapist near me. And, um, she put her hands on my kidneys and she says, your, your adrenals are burnt out. They're completely kaput. <laughs> and, 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 and then she sort of tied that into all the symptomatology and difficulties I'm wrestling with. And she said, your, 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 being is in a sympathetic, a fight or flight response and it's completely drained your, your adrenals. And I said, oh, no wonder. I mean, it, it's not to explain all the way, but it's like, it it's just, makes me appreciate that this is, if I'm going through this, I can only imagine what some of you are going through too. Doubt, the the mind state of doubt. In many ways, we could look at that in the current moment, but who can we trust? What sources of knowledge, what sources of leadership can we trust in in amidst a sea of, of misinformation, propaganda, distortion from both sides of the media? it's very hard to know what is true and to, to to know how to find a reference for that so i don't have answers for how to specifically deal with each of these in our life but i do try to think about these these mind states in terms of the spiritual path and and some of the teachings that i've resonated with and 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 reflections that i've helped make that I've, i i found have helped make help me make sense of of what we're going through And I shared a passage in my yin yoga class last Wednesday. Um, A few of you chimed in on it um, talking about sort of a bold shock of a statement it was, but I, I realized not everyone takes those classes. So it does apply to working with the hindrances uh, within us. And um, this is from a a teacher no longer alive. His name is Alan Watts. Um, The funny thing about, my discovery, my recent discovery of Alan Watts is that I've, I've, I've come to learn through a friend of mine that my music teacher in high school, who I adored, who was kind of my first real teacher, like a, a guru, guru level teacher. The guy had tremendous wisdom. I didn't realize this at the time, but he was a huge Alan Watts devotee. <laughs> so he was basically channeling, channeling Alan Watts in the high school band room. And when I'm reading it, it's like I can almost I can definitely hear his his voice almost coming through the, the words. But anyway, Alan, Alan has, you're not familiar with him. He has, a, a, I think, a, a remarkably unique voice on, on a lot of uh, spiritual themes. He says this at one point in a book called aptly titled The Book. Um, he says, the political and personal morality of the West, especially in the United States, is utterly schizophrenic. It's a monstrous combination of uncompromising idealism and unscrupulous gangsterism. This is written in 1966. Combination of uncompromising idealism and unscrupulous gangsterism. And thus devoid of the humor and humaneness which enables confessed rascals to sit down together and work out reasonable deals. I'll come back to that word, confessed rascals phrase. He continues, no one can be moral. That is, no one can harmonize contained conflicts without coming to a working arrangement between the angel in himself and the devil in himself. Between his rose above and his manure below. Now, I'm going to pause. Many of you know about yin and yang theory, the complementary interdependent nature of yin and yang. So please please listen to this next statement with that, that sense. He says, the two forces or tendencies are mutually interdependent. And the game, the game is a working game just so long as the angel is winning but does not win. And the devil is losing but is never lost. Further on, he says, if we want justice for minorities and cooled wars with our natural enemies, whether human or non-human, we must first come to terms with the minority and the enemy in ourselves and in our own hearts, for the rascal is there as much as anywhere in the external world, especially when you realize that the world outside your skin is as much yourself as the world inside so at the end there when he talks about the, the world outside your skin is as much yourself as the world inside he's really speaking from the the profound insight of non-dual realization where who you are is literally everything that's you're experiencing that's arising there's a non-separation between self and world the subject object duality co- collapses but to get to that unitive consciousness to get to that unitive experience of of realizing the world outside is the same as the world inside that there's no separation there's not it's not uh, no two-ness there's only one as he says requires that we we open to the angel and the devil within and i picked that up because that's what we're up against when we work with the hindrances, with the difficulties, the things that feel like the pernicious, niggling irritations that we'd re- we wish we could just extricate from our stream of consciousness, from our being, from our life, so that we could be, quote unquote, zen, calm, and cool. The way through that, as many teachers and many systems have spoken about, is through directly coming to know the truth of who you are, the truth of oneself and i would say meditation is just that it's a it's a it's a methodology of sorts to come to understand directly who and what you are and what you're not but the problem and this is this is something that i've been i've been wrestling in my own practice and in what i shared as a teacher but something i've been wrestling with with my own practice for a long time is The relationship between a methodology and what I understand and see, what I come to recognize and see. And this really uh, became a burning issue in my own practice about three or four years ago when I realized that many of the quote-unquote yang meditation styles, where there was a lot of specific formulaic instruction, namely and particularly the method I learned in Burma where I was encouraged to, to momentarily note whatever was occurring moment by moment. That I started to have a great doubt about the, the, that formulaic approach because I started to realize that the method itself would shape the very experience that I came to encounter vis a vis or through the method. It's kind of what the, like and I'm not a physicist here, so if you're knowledge about physicists, you can you can rightly chastise me for getting this wrong. But one of the themes I, I remember. Encountering in quantum mechanics is is the is the nature of 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 light, or is it a, is it a particle or is it a wave? And depending on how you look at it, you get two different uh, data sets. So, in other words, the way we look conditions what we experience. And um, next to Alan Watts, another uh, sort of great teacher of the last century that's no longer with us, named Krishnamurti, someone I've been checking out again or recently. And Krishnamurti, uh, in his famous book, The First and Last Freedom, says this. He says, now, is there a means, a system of knowing oneself? Any clever person, any philosopher can invent a system, a method. But surely the following of a system will merely reproduce a result created by that system, will it not? If I follow a particular method of knowing myself, then I shall shall have the result which the system necessitates, but the result will obviously not be the understanding of myself. That is, by following a method, a system, a means through which to know myself, I shape my thinking, my activities, according to a pattern. But the following of a pattern is not the understanding of oneself. And so that begs the question: Didn't I just say meditation is a way to get to know yourself? (laughs) And how do I make how do I reconcile that with Krishnamurti's statement? It's a big question, and I don't pretend to have a great answer. Um, What my sense is, as a a practitioner now for a few years, and, and talking to many friends and teachers about this, my sense is that there's some systems some some traditions that are, are gradual they're graduated paths where they give you a precise instruction contrary to what krishnamurti just said they give you a precise instruction and then if you get that one down they give you another instruction and then after you get that, that one down they give you another instruction you sort of go along the the path and, and gradually take a few steps up every few months or years and you start you move up closer and closer to the point of abandoning all systems and in some ways, the gradual path is a, and I, and I practice this so I can attest to it, but the gradual path is a path of frustration because each technique you use reveals how impotent it is at revealing the truth. So you try, you do something, and you see, you come up, suddenly you come up against the walls of its box, and you have to abandon it. So then you, you latch on to a different system the next graduated technique that you get. You try that, I tried that, until you get to the the borders of that system and you realize that's not giving you truth, it's still giving you a formulaic or pre-digested outcome. But then there are these other systems that preach, there's nothing to do. And I think that's where systems like Zen um, and some of the Advaita Vedanta teachings really you're trying to point to it they just point like there's nothing you sit down you have to do something but within the process they're they're pointing out a, a, a direct perception of being a direct experience of being not mediated by a thought of what it means to do to what you have to do to get to being you see through the futility of trying to think your way through this maze which then opens the mind up to the truth of the totality of the unit of consciousness. So I'm, in some ways, I'm trying to straddle both. <laughs> and I, if you know my, my skeletal limitations at abduction of my thigh, I can't abduct my legs very far. So my ability to straddle and, and go out into a full split is, is not the best. But I am, I, I try to give at times, I try to give uh, gentle, uh, somewhat formulaic instructions to help people settle down, get relaxed and comfortable within their meditation. So that ultimately, there's a point where we can just let go. We can let go of those structures and experience a directness of being. And then at other times, and particularly more tonight, I'll be sort of just pointing very gently to the to the directness of it all. And as I was trying to formulate um, this talk, I want to share with you an email I got recently from a a practice colleague of mine. Um, But before going to the email, I think it's better to to go back to my very first retreat with you for a second. And when I first came to a formal formal sitting practice, um, it was a nine day retreat at the Insight Meditation Society. And at one point I knew, I mean, there was, there was hardship early on the first three or four days, but there was, there was something in my life that was interpersonally related. I can't, it had to do with a friend and or a relationship. And it was, it was just driving me crazy. It wouldn't let me be, it wouldn't stop perseverating in my mind. It would just, it, just every time I get up or move or sit down, there it was. And, um, i think it's, it's maybe the fourth or fifth day i went to bed and i had this dream and this is the dream is what i want to share with you and i should uh, maybe another talk i'll explain how the dream became um like technically produced for nightline on abc hosted by dan harris 15 years ago like they, they animated the dream with cartoons and stuff but the dream was this i was i was um i was house i was babysitting. Uh, for my friend's nephews, he had two younger nephews, two boys, and um, during the course of the evening of babysitting for them, one of them came running to me and he said, "Josh, Josh, Josh! In the attic, there's a beastie." I said, "A what? A beastie?" He's like, "It's like he's a snarling little animal, and he's he's throwing these fireballs at the art in the in, in not in the basement in the attic, up in the attic." And I thought, okay. Uh, Let's see what's going on here. So they the so two boys led me upstairs to the attic, and we, we with great trepidation, we, we creep up the attic ladder into the into the uh, attic space. And sure enough, there is this gremlin devil, a beastie character, um, sort of out of a gothic cathedral, that would materialize these fireballs in its hand and it was just hurling them at the family's art collection uh, and this this family had i don't even know if they have these paintings but in my dream they did they had like original rembrandts (laughs) and and just fame like all the dutch masters it was there was just a a lot of wealth that was getting going up in flames if i didn't do something about it Um, but i was terrified i was flooded with fear and somehow in the dream at that very moment a song that I had been listening to in daily life, pre-retreat life, came back to me. The, the chorus of the of the song started coming to me, and the, the singer of the song it was a um, it is a very spiritual guy named Stuart Davis. He was uh, uh, very close with Ken Wilber and just part of the integral scene in, in Boulder. Um, and he had a song about about spirit, and, he, and the and the the refrain of the song kept kept repeating, "God is spirit." Spirit is everything, even the devil. And in the dream, I just started first started humming the words and then started singing the words. And as I started singing, the devil just looked at me. The little beast looked at me. Stopped throwing the fireballs and I gradually started stepping towards it. I kept singing. And then I bent over, picked up the devil, and cradled it in my arms, at which point the weirdest thing happened. (laughs) I'm not a Freudian interpretist here, so I can't say exactly what this means, but I have my my Buddhist interpretation. But when I cradled the devil, it started to suckle at my non-lactating nipple. I don't know how he got access to it but next thing you know my my chest was bare and he, he's sucking on my my nipple. But the fire the the the, the danger stopped. And then I, I, I that's all I remember of the dream. The ABC Nightline crew did not add in that piece if you, if you're able to find footage of it you won't see the, the devil suckling on my 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 nipple but you you get the idea. And the next morning when I woke up I was thinking about it. It was A, it was the most vivid dream I ever have ever had, it was semi almost lucid. Second, um, the 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 whole knot of 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 difficulty that I was wrestling with non-stop throughout the retreat just ceased. And the insight that well, the, the recollection that came to me, also fueled by pre-retreat life, was that I'd been reading Thich Nhat Hanh more or less daily, going into the retreat. And I don't know if he even said this, but the phrase, it, it was like coming from him that said, we mother our own demons. And, and can we hold that the, the energy that's challenging with the same love that a mother would hold a child? So now you can ask, is that a methodology? Is it a formula that we follow when we open to difficulty? And you could say, yeah it's a kind of formula but it's 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 much more of an intention a heart's intention of how do we want to be with aspects of ourselves that we might not appreciate or care for and this brings me finally to my friend's email so i can name him he's a well-known yoga teacher in the boston area named daniel orlansky some of you i know know him personally and um i don't know why but daniel used to have me in his trainings and at some point, he put me on a, a somewhat regular email list that includes me and Chip Harncraft, another yoga teacher in Boston, and a few other of his friends. But he sends out quotes and cartoons and, 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 and that kind of thing on a regular basis. And most of the time, I never even respond. It's just sort of like, oh, it's a little reflection from Daniel this week. But this week, <clears throat> he shared this. He said, dear friends, Joshu, now Joshu is not me. Joshu is the famous Zen master china Joshu's one word answer to the question well let me back up a monk a zen monk asked Joshu, what is the one ultimate word for truth what is the one ultimate word for truth and daniel was sort of asking chip and me to chime in and see if we could get it and being the kind of person that doesn't like to get answers wrong i immediately hit google <laughs> see if i could find out what did Joshu say to this question so i could get the riddle right and what i was reminded of was that Joshu was famous for the the koan um what is mu this contemplative question that they meditate on zen that what is mu you just internalize that question to break through your rational mind to perceive the unity of things so i knew that um mu might be it but there was something else in Daniel's email where he said, I'll give you a hint. The answer is not an exclamation. It's not a grunt. It's not a gesture. It's a real word. And I was wondering, well, maybe I wonder if if moo would con- constitute a real word. Um, but I, had, I laid back for a second for a little while and I let Chip, my, the other guy in the email, I let Chip answer first. And, of course, Chip took the bait and just wrote moo <laughs> across an email. <laughs> I had a cartoon about it um, and, and, and I thought, okay, he went that route. My, I guessed, I said, it, it can't be moved. It's gotta be something non-obvious. My guess is maybe I'm just going to say love. Love is the answer. But then uh, Daniel finally wrote back. He said, "Joshua's one word answer to the question. What is the one ultimate word of truth? Josh's answer was simply yes. So in a in an evening where I'm not going to give a formula for practice, that is the instruction. Yes. And we'll call it the unitive mantra. At the end of the email from Daniel, he's, he included a, a wonderful poem about the word yes by the teacher Osho. And um, this is the first time I've ever quoted Osho. If you've seen the the documentary Wild, 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 Wild Wild Country, I was I had great misgivings about the sanity of this this teacher and the and the and even the, the, the benefits beneficial nature of this teacher. But give if we're honoring the devil within, we also have to honor the angel that may come out of a devilish mouth. This simple word yes contains all the religions of the world. It contains trust. It contains love. It contains surrender. It contains all the prayers that have ever been done, are being done, and will ever be done. If you can say yes with the totality of your heart, you have said all that can be said. If you can say yes with totality, with no strings attached to it, With no conditions with no desire for any reward if you can simply enjoy saying yes if it is your dance your song then it is prayer and all prayers reach god whether you believe in god or not but your yes should not only be prayerfulness your yes should not only be prayerfulness it should become your very lifestyle. It should become your flavor, your fragrance. Down the ages, religions have been teaching people life negation, life condemnation. Down the ages, religions have been telling you that you are sinners, that your bodies are the house of sin. That you have to destroy your life in order to praise the Lord. That you have to renounce the world to be able to be accepted by the Lord. This. Is utter nonsense. Life affirmation, not life negation, is religion. Because God is life and there is no other God. God is the green in the trees and the red of the trees and the gold of the trees. Godliness is all over the place. Only godliness is. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's talk. I hope the reflections offered in this talk support your practice and open up new dimensions in your practice for you. Um, and if you would like, as I said earlier, if you'd like to participate live with us, if you'd like to come to the live talk, experience the live meditation after the talk, and also participate in the live Sangha discussion where people share and raise questions and talk about their own experience um, please do so you can you'll find a link for Sangha membership in the show notes which explains it all very very simply and I'll just add that uh, after this particular talk the Sangha discussion was pretty lively and um, people had some really interesting observations in response to it and in subsequent days the emails that have been coming in have also uh filled in some of the resonant reflections that you're all having. So um, I really enjoy that interaction and that engagement. And if you'd like to participate, remember just remember there is a link in the show notes for how to join along with us. Okay, I'll leave it there for now. And um, as things, personally, I'm feeling the temperature, at least in the United States, the temperature of political terror is coming down a bit. I mean, things are still pretty rancorous, but um, it feels like many of us are being able to take a collective exhale and and start to feel um, a semblance of normalcy returning, which is good. So uh, wherever you are, I hope you're well. I wish you all the best in your practice, in your life, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take good care.